How? How do we allow a gunman to come into our children's school? How do they get through security? What security is there? There's no metal detectors. The gunman, a crazy person, just walks right into the school, knocks down the window of my child's door, and starts shooting, shooting her, and killing her. President Trump, you say, what can you do? You can stop the guns from getting into these children's hands. Put metal detectors at every entrance to the schools. What can you do? You can do a lot. This is not fair to our families that our children go to school and have to get killed. I just spent the last two hours putting the burial arrangements for my daughter's funeral, who's 14. President Trump, please do something. Do something. Action! We need it now! These kids need safety now! If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had, and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage in a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at Amazon.com slash Instant Eraser Foundation. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code WONDERY to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Companies trying to make caricatures of the teenagers nowadays, saying that all we are is self, 
involved and trend obsessed and they hush us into submissions when our message doesn't reach the ears of the nation, we are prepared to call BS. Politicians! Politicians who sit in their gilded house and senate seats funded by the NRA telling us nothing could have ever been done to prevent this, we call BS! We say that tough, they say that tougher gun laws do not decrease gun violence. We call BS! They say a good guy with a gun stops a bad guy with a gun. We call BS! They say guns are just tools like knives and are as dangerous as cars. We call BS! No, they say that no laws could have been able to prevent the hundreds of senseless tragedies that have occurred. We call BS! us kids don't know what we're talking about, that we're too young to understand how the government works. We call BS! Hello and welcome to this very special episode of Real Crime Profile. This is Jim Clementi. I'm here with Laura Richards and Lisa Zambetti to talk about the shooting at a Florida high school. But first we want to focus on the victims, and these are the victims who lost their lives. Elisa Aladef who was 14. Scott Beagle, who was 35. Martin DeCue Anguiano, who was 14. Nicholas Dorrett, who was 17. Aaron Feiss, who was 37. Jamie Gutenberg was 14. Chris Hickson, who was 49. Luke Hoyer was 15. Kara Lofren was 14. And Gina Montalto, 14 years of age. Joaquin Oliver was 17. Elena Petty was 14. Meadow Pollack was 18. Elena Ramsey was 17. Alex Schachter was 14. Carmen Shentrup, who was 16. And Peter Wang was 15. Their ages just, you know, make for just such horrific impact. Seven 14-year-olds and two 15-year-olds, a 16-year-old, three 17-year-olds, one 18-year-old. I mean, this is just such senseless killings, uh, along with three teachers who were also killed, um, each of them trying to save the students, which I just think speaks volumes. Yeah, those Mm -hmm. teachers are heroes. There would have been more casualties if they had not literally stopped bullets with their own bodies. Mm. And this is just heart-wrenching. Reading these names, seeing their ages, and looking at their pictures, it's just... It's just terrible. And it makes me mad that we as a country are allowing people to, quote, enjoy the right of gun ownership at the expense of the lives of children. I mean, that is not a good balance. That is not the way it should be. I mean, the lives of these children is far more valuable than any right that anybody else has, especially to ownership of a weapon that's made to kill. Just doesn't make any sense. And it's the loss of so many innocent young lives. I mean, that's 17 people who were dead, but there were 14 others who were injured. And of course, it's the psychological impact um, of those who survived the post-traumatic stress disorder that stays with people forever. And, you know, we can't forget that this has just been, it seems to be one after the other, you know, and thinking about Virginia Tech in 2007, the Pulse nightclub in 2016, Texas this year and in 1991, Las Vegas in 2018 this year, Sandy Hook 2012, Santa Barbara 
um, San Bernardino 2017. There have just been so many cases. And of course, it seems to spark outrage. And then it seems to go quiet again after there's outrage. Then there seems to be the thoughts and prayers that go with it and debates. And everyone seems to forget. And Congress does nothing. And then we get another mass shooting again. And it's time for action. So, Jim, I completely agree with you, and I'm outraged too. But today in this discussion, we have to find a way for people on the other side of this argument to be able to hear us. Because I know when we talked about the Pulse shooting and, and you know, Laura and Francie and I talked about the Texas shooting, you know, we, we get blowback from people saying, look, you know, we're responsible gun owners. It's not the gun's fault. So, you know, and I'm tired of this tit for tat boilerplate arguments. We have to find a way to talk about this together and find common ground together. And I'm right with you, um, Jim and Laura, but you know, I, I don't run the world and my experience in life is not the only one. So we have to well, find a way for other people to come okay, to but, for this. All right. But we don't have to go very far because yes, there are people who are responsible gun owners. There are also people who say that Cars are more dangerous. It's true. Cars can be dangerous in the wrong hands. And what do we do? We severely limit who can have them, how they can operate them. We license them. We make sure we check up on them all the time and make sure they're okay to drive. Why aren't we doing that with guns? Why do we have hundreds of millions of guns in the hands of people and absolutely no standard as to who has them and why they have them and what they're doing with them? Well, there's 270 million guns that are in the US. And, you know, I just want to think about learning across the world. Australia, of course, had Port Arthur, which was a massacre in 1996. And following that, there was a new prime minister, John Howard, who had just come into office. And he'd been in office for 57 days and he banned guns immediately. There was a very swift amendment. He basically uh, took the ball by the horns and there was a gun buyback program and then he brought in national registration, national licensing, and then he instigated a a gun ownership law that it was a privilege and not a right. And since that massacre in 1996, there hasn't been one since. They've had a 20-year period without any mass shootings. I I, think that's smart. Right. And I I know I, I applaud that, but this is America and we can wish that we had the same kind of laws as Australia and Britain and anywhere else, but that's not our country. We're in charge of our own laws. We're in charge of our own laws. Yes, 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 but Australia doesn't have a constitutional, you know, doesn't have it. But we have the ability to amend our constitution. In fact, the right to bear arms is an amendment to the constitution. It was not in the constitution. And because of that, It has been interpreted over the last 200 years in various different ways. And the problem is that that interpretation has allowed people who are, for example, 19 years old and mentally unstable to buy five guns within a year and kill 17 innocent people and injure 14 others in a matter of minutes. Yep. Agree. But let's not forget the history of domestic violence. I mean, there were 39 call-outs to this home address with a mother that was saying that he was escalating his behavior and that she was scared of him. So let's talk, yeah, let's talk about that. Why why didn't the, why don't why don't the police have the power to do anything 39 times? I mean, what is of course missing here? They have here? the power. They have the power. What they need is the will. What they need is prosecutors are going to enforce the Baker Act. The Baker Act 
gives the police and the prosecutor the right to lock somebody up against their will if they have severe emotional or mental problems. And clearly this kid was exhibiting that. He was expelled from school. The school warned teachers, do not let this guy on campus and let us know if he comes on campus with a backpack. Well, clearly they were fearful that he was going to come on and bring on a weapon instead of protecting children in the school. They rather put it on somebody else. They expel him and they do nothing else. Let me just go right for it, though. Some students made reports not only to the local law enforcement, but to the FBI. The first report to the FBI was anonymous, and it's something very difficult to follow up on because it's a huge country and the FBI gets thousands of reports like that a year. But the second one was specific. It was about this particular kid. It was about what he intended to do, and it should have been followed up on. And somehow it got lost in a morass, maybe at FBI headquarters. It never got out to the local field office. However, as you pointed out, Laura, there were 39 callouts to that house. Number three call out should have been a red flag. And there was another 36 after that. Why? What the hell was going on? We all saw the video with him coming out in the backyard of his house, filmed by his neighbor, shooting a gun. Now, whether it was a cap gun or a BB gun or a real pistol, I don't know. But he's shooting in the backyard irresponsibly. I'm sure they called the police about it and they documented it. It should have been dealt with. Instead, he was just pushed along, pushed along, pushed along till it gets to 39. And finally, he gets bulletproof vests. He gets semi-automatic weapons and rifles. And he has the capacity to kill so many people in his hands, even though there's no legitimate reason for him to have a single weapon given his mental state. So just to track back and uh, to the CNN international interview that I did with Steve Moore, I mean, when we did the nine o'clock interview, uh, I was aware that this was on, on Thursday. I was certainly aware that he had been expelled from school and that he had an ex-partner. They had separated and she had said that he had abused her and that he had stalked another woman and that he had also attacked the ex-girlfriend's boyfriend. And I talked about there being a history of domestic violence, and that's what you would see with with somebody like this who is entitled and was about power and control. And having said that, at 9 o'clock, CNN then did some digging, and that's when they found out when we came back at the 10 o'clock segment that there were these call-outs, 39 call-outs to the home address. And at Mm. the time, I couldn't even see on screen what they were. Um, But I went through them and it was child elderly abuse, domestic disturbances. The neighbors had called. The mother had called numerous times because he had beaten her. He'd threatened her. The neighbors said that he would, you know, literally punch out the furniture and that was being put outside. Um, And the mum just couldn't control him. And she was saying that she was terrified. He was calling her names, calling her a useless bitch and other profanities and he had been assessed. The police had, had attended the home address on each of those occasions. He had been referred. He was a long-term client of a um, behavioral unit. But they kept saying that he did not make any threats to himself or others. And that's why, um, despite the threats on social media of him saying he was a pr- professional mass shooter, um, them not looking online as well as offline when thinking about risk, right. assess- risk assessment, they felt that the, the Baker Act wasn't needed. And again, these are missed opportunities. And despite that, the mother kept calling. 
Um, then you've got school f- ex-school friends describing him as um, an evil kid that was always getting into trouble, that he was stealing mail, throwing rocks at cars, torturing animals, shooting chickens, shooting lizards. If people said anything against him, he would threaten them. I mean, the, the list just goes on of not just antisocial behavior, but abusive behavior. And, and people were fearful of him. And he threatened many people. So he should have come on the radar. Certainly when he came on the FBI radar, you know, did they actually do any searches to find out where his IP address uh, was registered to? Did, did they ask um, the person on YouTube to try and interact with him? You know, perhaps if there had been, and of course there's a full scale review now underway and I, I hope we hear more about that. But the fact was he was using his own name. And, you know, it's, it was it about a lack of resources. Was it about the fact they just didn't take domestic violence seriously? Or was it the fact they didn't see that um, history? But the one thing I have said repeatedly throughout all of these cases is that, is that domestic violence must be taken seriously. And it's seen as a misdemeanor. These were just seen as disturbances. And yes, he hadn't been convicted for domestic violence. But look at all the intelligence about him committing domestic violence. And he was a dangerous individual. And that's where we need to see a cultural change so that we understand how serious and dangerous individuals, and we're intentionally not using his name, as Jim and I feel very strongly not to give a platform to individuals like this who are seeking it. But it's really to find out what those lessons are and how you use those lessons to actually take action. Because I'm just sick of reading victims' yeah. names and there being this debate and this outrage and then nothing no, changes. Clearly, there's a million opportunities to derail this tragedy. And that's what's so frustrating. You know, any one of them, any one of these opportunities, whether it's not he's not able to buy the gun or somebody is using the Baker Act or whatever, there's there's all of these opportunities. And why do they fall through the cracks? It's 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 insane. Well, why aren't the online risks being looked at? You know, saying I want to shoot people with my my AR fifteen. I'm going to be a professional school shooter. His social media was full of him with guns. I mean, you know. <laughs> We're now in 2018. People have to understand risk assessment must include online behavior as well as offline and and draw that information together. And, you know, when I was on CNN talking with Steve Moore, who you know, um, Jim, he mentioned that, well, there's no one central repository. Well, you're never going to have one central repository. You actually have to make the links and join the dots. And, you know, again, if we don't see this kind of behavior as concerning these warning signs and you're not using the right risk assessment toolkits and you're not trained, then you're not going to understand the risks that these individuals pose. And it's not taken seriously. And that's why, sadly, 17 people have have lost their lives. And as you know, Jim, he was very premeditated and planned. He had been ruminating about this for some time. He chose Valentine's Day as a particular date for a particular reason. He waited until until two o'clock so that he knew that the students would be coming out and in the hallways. He pulled the fire alarm to ensure a maximum body count. And he didn't try and kill himself or go out suicide by cop. He actually planned his escape so that he would blend in with everybody right. else and then just went to go and have a drink and something to eat at, at McDonald's. Right. I mean, clearly this kid was not mentally ill in terms of not knowing the wrongfulness of his acts. And I am a little sick of hearing that he is just mentally ill when if he had a little bit different skin color, they would be saying he's a terrorist. 
And they being people in the administration or, you know, people in positions of authority, whatever. The fact is that this young man strategically purchased weapons and ammunition and protective armor so that he could go in and maximize the number of people he killed. He held up in great esteem the first shooter in the United States history, first mass shooter, and he wanted to be as good or better than him. And the fact is that he was completely in control of his faculties. He definitely, he did this in a way to minimize the chances of him getting shot or killed. And if he's crazy, he's crazy like a fox. He used his skills to escape. And then obviously the fact is that he went, as you said, and enjoyed a meal afterwards. This did not affect him. He did what he wanted to do, what he had planned to do, and he did not do it just randomly in front of anybody at any given time. He did it in a time where he thought, as you said, Laura, maximum kill and maximize his ability to, to escape. I, I'm telling you, that's not somebody who's insane. That's not somebody who doesn't understand the wrongfulness of his acts. That's somebody who knows exactly what he's damn doing. You can live out your master chef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We've been hearing a lot that this is not the time to talk about gun control, and we can respect that. We've lost people. It's important to mourn. Here's a time to talk about gun control. March 24th. My message for the people in office is, you're either with us or against us. We are losing our lives while the adults are playing around. And we have received endless support from your generation, and we thank everybody for that immensely because we, we, we really appreciate it. We don't need you. On March 24th, you are going to be seeing students in every single major city marching, and we have our lives on the line here. And at the end of the day, that is going to be what's bringing us to victory and to making some sort of right out of this tragedy. Is This is about us begging for our lives. This isn't about the GOP. This isn't about the Democrats. This is about us creating a badge of shame for any politicians who are accepting money from the NRA and using us as collateral. talks to you know narcissism and entitlement and the way that he was behaving beforehand and I, I think it's interesting you mentioned you know color of the skin and of course you know policy debate and changes uh, seem to happen very quickly when it's a terrorist attack you know as we saw with New York but yet when it comes to all these mass shootings in schools and churches and parks the debate seems to happen and then nothing changes you know why the sit back when actually there's a lot more that can be done 
And of course, it's not just one thing. There's there's multiple things here. And you know, post Sandy Hook in Connecticut, they brought in the toughest gun laws in the U.S. and the crime rate has dropped significantly. Mm-hmm. So you know, people who argue the fact, you know, and of course, you know, there's some politicians saying that tougher gun laws do not decrease gun violence. Well, that's absolute BS. Because look to the U.K., look to Australia, look look to other countries, look to Connecticut since Sandy Hook. That's exactly what's happened. And that's where change will be affected. But for me, there's still this aspect around domestic violence and stalking that if we're not making that link, you know, and I I read a number of the the cases that Virginia Tech and Las Vegas, all of these cases that keep happening. There's the link. I put it on social media. I keep talking about it. And we do on Real Crime Profile. But yet so many people are trying to distract and take the narrative elsewhere um, including those in office saying that this is just about a mental health issue and not mentioning guns or domestic violence. And that's where we're missing a trick 100%. And, you know, I like the fact that the students are now finding their voice and they are uh, rallying, but there's also going to be a national school walkout day. I think it's going to be led in Columbine on April the 19th, where students will be walking out of schools because they want action. They don't want to keep hearing these words and all this BS. They're trying to call it out and they want to make sure that change actually happens and that this is the last mass shooting. Yeah, there is a incredibly heart-wrenching statement on one of the CNN videos. Hopefully we'll be able to put it, link it to this podcast where a mother who who had to make funeral arrangements for her 14-year-old daughter as a result of this says that she's sick of hearing politicians say well, no law could actually prevent this from happening. And she said, what about putting uh, what about putting metal detectors in every school? Why isn't that a priority? Why is it that as a country, we can buy millions of guns a year uh, and we can resell them without any restrictions at, at gun sales, uh, you know, in the middle of nowhere, you know, and it's it's just never enough for people to see that people are being killed left and right. Children, helpless children in in the safety of their own school, just being wiped out and slaughtered. It's terrible. And the fear and the rippling effect of this in schools all around this country, it's it's just tragic that we can't just take, like Lisa said, take stock in this. And we know something has to change. People who are on the NRA side, who want to have everybody buying guns left and right, and they say a good guy with a gun could stop a bad guy with a gun. It's just not true. There are millions of guns in the state of Florida. Nobody with a gun who was good was able to stop this guy. He was able to kill 17 people with impunity. Right, and there was an armed presence at the school. There was an armed security guard. But, you know, let me just say that this has got to be a multi-prong effort. There's not just one solution. And I think that's just important to bring people out of their dug-in corners. You know, and and I've had to... I've had to acquiesce too, because I'm, you know, I'm from the Bay Area. We're like, no guns, no way, never, never, never. And, you know, I've lived in a lot of different places and I've come around to the point like, yes, if you're a bodega owner and you need a gun behind your counter to protect you, I'm all for that. And, you know, there are certainly lots of times when it's, for me, I support sensible, responsible, 
gun ownership, but we've all got to, you know, come out from our corners and come together and have a multi-prong approach. I never thought that I'd want to see metal detectors in a school because I don't want my kids to be going to something that's like a prison. But now, yeah, sure. That's fine with me. Uh, You know, I never thought if I went back to teaching, maybe I would want a gun in my classroom in a lockbox that I only know the security code to. You know, maybe that's that's okay. But if I'm going to come that far away from my original stance, then other people have to come too. You know, we all have to come together. But you know what, Lisa? I mean, you know, you you said it before, but just to make the point, metal detectors in schools are not going to solve the problem on their own. You know, parks, churches, sure. other places are targeted. And you know, one of the things with mass shootings, you know, fifty-seven percent of them have a domestic violence background, and the profile where they're overwhelmingly male, white male, entitled individuals about power and control and domestic abuse and misogynistic. And, you know, we need to look at those patterns to understand what's happening. And it is a multi-pronged approach. It's not just one thing. And we do, you know, you have to look across the world to what does work in in different areas. And Jim, you mentioned that, you know, the NRA, the National Rifle Association, and uh, spending a record, I think it's 30 million to help Trump win. And, you know, Trump being in uh, endorsing um, and address addressing them at the annual leadership forum in Atlanta 2017, saying that they came through for him and so that he would always come through for them and he'll never let them down. Jesus. You know, the, the concern is that, you know, he's vowed to tackle the issue of mental health and saying that they will learn everything that they can but is still not talking about the priority issue, which should be about guns if they really want to make people safer. And it should be about domestic abuse and understanding that entitlement and misogyny and that hatred. And yeah, that's the such a nebulous that statement, to tackling mental health. What the fuck does that mean? I mean, honestly, what that is such a vague push, kick the can down the road. What what does that actually mean? He wants to get the focus away from the guns. The fact is that an AR-15 was developed as a machine of war to kill people, to kill multiple people from a distance. That's what it does. And whether it's semi-automatic or automatic, it can still kill a lot of people. It's very easy to reload it. Why does a civilian need need that, Jim? I mean, you mentioned for military reasons. Why does a civilian need to own a weapon like that? I don't believe they do. And people, including my brother Tim, have said on air to the nation that a shotgun is more dangerous than an AR-15. It's just not true because an AR-15, you can load faster. It has a much more powerful round. And just because there's multiple pellets in a shotgun doesn't mean that you could kill that many more people because it's just a scattergun. It shoots out and sprays out indiscriminately. It's not actually accurate over a distance. And you cannot kill as many people unless they're all standing together in one crowd and you shoot the same way over and over and over again. But people are going to disperse. However, an AR-15, you can aim it because it's a rifle. You can aim it and kill people specifically very easily. It has a much larger clip And so there are more bullets in it. And these are high power bullets and they'll go through walls and they'll go through doors and they'll go through glass and they'll go through desks most of the time. Well, you don't even have to aim it. You don't even have to aim it. I mean, the Las Vegas shooter didn't even aim. He just. Well, because he was shooting into a big crowd. Right. But but the fact is that a shotgun would never have been useful to that guy in in Las Vegas. And 
yes, it would have killed people if he had a shotgun in this school. However, that would not have resulted in the same number of deaths and injuries. He had more time to shoot people because he had to spend less time reloading and he was able to kill more accurately. And that is the problem with those weapons. The weapons like AR-15s and M-16s are designed to kill people in a battle in war. And I don't believe there's any place for them in the public. There's just no need for it. And it absolutely was not anticipated by the Second Amendment. And people are saying it's unrestricted, but they couldn't have anticipated what what we would be capable of 200 years down the road. We certainly don't give people fighter jets. We certainly don't give people bazookas. Why? Because they're really dangerous. Well, so are semi-automatic rifles And I don't think that we should be giving them to just random people. But here's what I don't understand about Tim, who I I greatly admire. You know, you know that. But he came on the podcast, you know, him and I, and he told me that he takes his gun to church. And at first I was kind of shocked, but I was like, okay, you know, I feel safe with your brother because he's a trained marksman. He's law enforcement. He knows what he's doing. And if he's got a gun, yeah, I want to be next to him if somebody bursts into a church and and starts shooting. But that's not then everybody needs to be held to that standard. You know, I don't understand why he would want people with mental health issues and and violent past to have access to those guns. I mean, especially if you're an NRA member, you'd think that you'd want only people who are the highest trained or the highest highest vetted to have weapons. Am I wrong? Currently, they don't check school exclusions or expulsions. mental health history or domestic disturbances. And that's one of the real challenges that it's looked at in terms of convictions, felony convictions only. But of course, there are many who, where domestic violence does not result in a conviction because it's seen as something much lesser. And therefore, those disturbances, those 39 in this case, and the fact that he had been expelled and his mental health history, those things didn't flag. So he could buy his AR-15 and you can buy those, I've been told, you know, in a matter of minutes. And, you know, how does that happen? And it's because domestic violence isn't seen as something that's serious. And I also just want to make the point around mentally ill or mental health. Across the history of mass shooters, 22% of them were mentally ill. And mentally ill people are not the perpetrators of violence, as is seen in the media time and time again. Many people who are mentally ill are not violent at all. And I think it's creating another wrong stereotype, not just about this type of crime, but it's also stigmatizing people with who are mentally ill, which is completely unacceptable. That He bought an AR-15. He passed the required government background checks, even though he'd been expelled from school, with his history of mental health and the domestic disturbances or his online threats. There are no requirements to do even a criminal background check at a gun show. There are gun shows all over the place, massive gun shows with thousands of weapons where people who are selling guns don't have to do a criminal history check on the people who buy them. And the reason that supposedly exists is so that a grandfather can actually hand his uh, his grandson down his weapon when he gets old. I mean, it it has nothing to do with reality, but that's the way they constantly get people to say, no, we don't need restrictions on gun shows, but gun shows sell millions of weapons across this country every year. And many of them are to, 
are to drug dealers and terrorists and criminals. And there's absolutely no way to police that. It's just outrageous. Well, I mean, why is it that when if somebody is buying, you know, nitroglycerin or buying too much fertilizer, you know, that raises a red flag, doesn't it? With the FBI, like they might be up to building a bomb. But if somebody's buying a high capacity weapon, that doesn't raise any flags. I mean, that seems crazy to me. Yeah, well, it's because, again, people are hiding behind uh, an amendment that they're they're saying gives them the right to do it. And and so there, you know, I mean, but there there are these gun shows where there is absolutely no tracking for who's buying what and who's selling what. And here you have a situation where there's um, plenty of opportunity for you to get illegal guns everywhere because there are literally hundreds of millions of them in the country and they're stolen all the time. And they're bought by people for other people, and they're bought by people to sell to bad people. If they had outlawed guns like they did in Australia, Laura, then at least we could start from scratch and then start licensing people who are like legitimate, uh, responsible gun owners. But the thing that they hold on to is they want to be able to, you know, overthrow the government if the government becomes corrupt. And that's why they believe they should have these guns. Because that's what the Second Amendment was about. But the problem is, well, first of all, the government has nuclear weapons. And so it's very unlikely that you're going to be using any kind of firearm to be able to overthrow a government that has the ability to completely annihilate the entire world. So it's a foolish thing to be holding on to this historic, ridiculous, quote, right, when in fact it's responsible for killing hundreds, if not thousands of people Yeah, and it's a paranoid year. fantasy. I mean, that's why we have the vote. If you want to right. overthrow your government, your vote is what you need to utilize. But anyway, go ahead, Laura. I was just going to go back to Australia because, you know, I think that there are some really important lessons to learn there. And, you know, the Port Arthur massacre in 1996, I think 35 people died. And the fact that the Prime Minister, John Howard, took action that was swift, immediate, and it was backed by the public... I mean, this is where people really need to start to use their voices um, because there was a public outcry there. And I think it is just so significant that they haven't had a gun massacre within a 20-year period. And before 1996, there were 13 other massacres where at least five or more people were shot dead. And, of course, this is the 18th in the U.S. since the beginning of the year, 18. the 18th. And I think... What, when I last looked at the tally of, of victims, it was something like 847 um, from, from 2009. Um, you know, this is a huge amount of people who are being killed. I mean, literally massacred. And yet it's just falling on, on deaf ears. And, you know, one of Emma Gonzalez, one of the school students who's been leading the charge, you know, that she's been calling out on Facebook and Twitter, but, you know, using the sort of the slogan, your silence is killing us. And, and it literally is. I mean, people should be absolutely outraged and, you know, absolutely lobbying and pressing and using social media uh, to ensure that voices are heard because this just cannot continue. I mean, where does it end? I don't know, but I think people need to write to the president, write to their congressmen, write to their local governors and their local congressmen and do everything in their power to make noise and not let this just go away just because it's out of the news cycle. 
I mean, what's changed, Jim and Lisa, since we covered, you know, the Pulse, Orlando shooting and the Las Vegas shooting and the Texas shooting? I mean, to me, nothing's changed, right? I mean, no. This young man was able to do the same thing that the other prior shooters were. And chances are part of that was because he wanted to make a name for himself. I've told a number of media outlets that I refused to get on on their show because they're naming his name. And that is irresponsible. It encourages people to to outdo the last one because they want to be more famous than the one before them. But so I, yeah. I, just, I just want to emphasize that, again, uh, it's not going to be one thing that helps this issue. It's not just going to be changing gun laws. You know, it's it's everything. And what I feel, what I fear is that we remain idle because, I mean, if I just, uh, I was just, you know, Googling this subject earlier and everybody's saying what doesn't work. Well, metal detectors don't work or this won't work. Well, we, we can't sit idle and frozen with those kind of proclamations. I mean, little by little, step by step, you know, we're not going to turn into Australia overnight. That's just not going to happen. And it's going to take people inside the NRA good people, good, responsible, common sense gun owners to turn around their, to take back their own organization. That's, I mean, that's, it has to be that way. Yeah, there has to be a raft of things. I mean, having been uh, an instigator of law change on, on multiple times, I, th- I think it's five times now, you know, you have to put forward practical solutions. And, you know, just some of the things that I, I also just want to highlight, and I'm going to go back to domestic violence, and I know I bang that drum all the time because it, it's important, particularly when we think in more than half of, uh, in, in more than, so more than half of the shootings between 2009 and 16 the killer shot dead their partner and or a family member. And if you think that three women are killed every day at the hands of their partner or ex-partner, many in the US use where a firearm is used, and the fact that one in 35 women have been threatened by their partner who's used a gun, and each of the cases that we've talked about, San Bernardino, Karen Smith, who was stalked and murdered in a school in 2017, as was one of her students, by her ex-partner, Sandy Hook, the domestic violence connection. Las Vegas, Texas, you know, these are connections. The Pulse nightclub, we talked about his profile and his ex-partner who he had terrorized and abused. And so there are some practical things that can happen around taking domestic violence seriously and law change. And I want to see California leading the way around domestic violence in particular. We covered it on the podcast Dirty John, the coercive control element. And this is all about power and control. These are power and control crimes. He wanted to feel powerful in this case. That's why he chose Valentine's Day, a day that should be full of love. That's why he put the fire alarm on. That's why he chose the corridors. That's why he chose an AR-15 so that he can get a maximum body count. It was all about power and control. And so when are we going to make those links? Because you know we did talk about if you put... The metal detectors in schools, yes, that's something you can do now to deal with some of the problems now. But actually, it's the psychology as well, the psychology of individuals like him who, you know, feel less powerful. And so they want to feel more powerful. And this is their way. It's toxic masculinity of taking the power back. So there is something here about the psychology as well as the access to guns, that, you know, it is multiple things that but they need to be very practical measures. And of course, there has to be an appetite politically, uh, even if you take a single state, first of all, and I applaud Sandy Hook, well, Connecticut, 
for bringing in the toughest uh, gun laws. But that's that's what's required, and it is a raft. It's and 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 not just one thing. Yeah, I I agree, and I, I applaud you, Lisa and Laura, for both coming at this with you know a, a perspective of there's a, there's a lot of problems here that lead to this issue. And I think it's very dangerous for politicians to do a sleight of hand and lead us away from the core issue is that these kinds of weapons, semi-automatic weapons in particular, that can be made into automatic weapons, multiply the killing factor. And I'll always bring it back to a very terrible case that that happened in China where a guy went into school to try to kill as many kids as he could. And he ends up not killing anyone because all he could get was a knife. Now he stabbed a couple of kids. He cut off one child's ear. That's a terrible thing, but he wasn't able to end any lives because he couldn't get guns. No reason why our guns can't be kept in the local armory for events when we need them. If that's necessary. It doesn't have to be in everybody's home. There are so many accidental shootings that kill children every year in this country. There are so many accidental shootings that kill other people in this country. And there are so many deliberate shootings that kill people in this country. We'd be in a much better place if we were more like the UK and even our regular police officers didn't have to carry guns. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom takes into account dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you. Everyone's journey is different, so your daily lessons are personalized to you and your goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology based approach. Sign up for your free trial today at Noom.com. That's N O O M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Urban Outfitters, Sephora, and Nike. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. In 2017, the FBI received information about a comment made on a YouTube channel. The comment simply said, I'm going to be a professional school shooter. No other information was included with that comment, which would indicate a time, location, or the true identity of the person who made the comment. The FBI conducted database reviews, checks, but was was unable to further identify the person who actually made the comment. Can we talk about, Jim, a little bit about the FBI and their role here and 
you know, what happened. Because, you know, there's there's one thing that we've been talking about, you know, his the warning signs and, and risk that he posed. But, you know, what's your take on what happened here with the FBI of them being tipped off five months ago and then in January? Um, what, do, what do you see as some of the, the lessons to be learned for, for well, law enforcement? I think, you know, the FBI has a, a tip line and they have a cyber tip line uh, that, that goes to Nick Mick and so forth. And they get thousands of tips every year. And every year, the amount of money that is given to the FBI by Congress to fund criminal investigations goes down more and more and more. And unfortunately, that means that there are fewer resources and fewer people that are actually on the criminal side of the FBI. As the organization that has long touted itself as the premier law enforcement agency in the world, they have to step up and they have to fight Congress and get the funding for criminal matters. I know that post 9-11, funding for criminal investigations in the FBI went down dramatically, and most of the money goes for counterterrorism. I think that's an important job for the FBI. And because of that, the FBI now relies much more on local law enforcement to do those kinds of crimes and investigation and prevention. So the fact that this thing fell through the cracks, it disappoints me tremendously in an organization that I felt really proud to be part of and still feel very proud to have been part of it. But it also infuriates me that law enforcement gets such a short shrift in terms of funding these days and to expect them to continue to do an amazing job with underfunded, I think is just, it's just yeah. ridiculous. It's insanity. I mean, funding, you know, is certainly an issue. I think certainly in the UK as well, that's something, you know, resources are just, uh, scarce on the ground. But I was interested to hear one of the, well, first of all, the sheriff locally came out and said straight after the shooting had happened, I listened to him say, well, there's nothing that we can do here. You know, these things oh, just happen and, you know, we can't do anything to prevent it. Yeah. Uh, I was pretty horrified by hearing that statement without him knowing anything, or maybe he did know something, I don't know, but about the individual and, and what had happened. And of course, it takes some time to review these cases. And having run the Homicide Prevention Unit at New Scotland Yard, you know, you do a, a what we would call a desktop review and look at the intel and information and things that are on the crime report system and uh, all, all the intel to see what, what we knew about somebody um, and I think that was a, that was too quick yeah. to make that comment. Um, and then, you know, would you agree, Jim? I mean, that, that seems to be ridiculous, uh, irresponsible. Uh, uh, of course, there are things that law enforcement can do, and of course, there are things that the local legislatures can do, and the and the national legislatures can do. I think that what the mother said was absolutely correct. That mother who said, "Why aren't there metal detectors in all our schools?" Unfortunately, every school is a target-rich environment, and it's going to draw these kinds of people who are trying to make a name for themselves. And I think that if you're going to give us a country that has almost 300 million guns in it, then you damn well better put metal detectors in every school, in every sports venue, in every single concert venue. We need them because we're giving people the right to carry these weapons of mass destruction into those places 
And if we don't have metal detectors and most likely armed, trained guards, not the ones that are, you know, either retired in place or they couldn't get another job. So they got a job in security and they have absolutely no training, but they're just simply a body there. That's just not any protection for kids. I thought Steve Moore made an interesting point. He said that, you know, he's his former FBI. He said that uh, 7-Elevens, you know, have armed guards to guard alcohol. And uh, yet, you know, what what is put in place to keep children safe? Um, but I also was listening, Jim, the, the FBI director, Christopher Ray made an interesting statement just today um, where he acknowledged the failure to investigate the um, the threat that came in or the, the about the plot um, by this individual on January the 5th. And I just mm-hmm. want to read his quote. Um, he basically said, under established protocols, the information provided by the caller should have been assessed as a potential threat to life. We have determined that the protocols were not followed for the information received on January the 5th. Well, in other words, there was a system in place to actually address that issue, and it failed. So obviously, there needs to be a backup system and a fail-safe system after that. I mean, you can't just have one procedure and then rely on humans who do make errors to to you know follow up if if something falls through the cracks. I mean, there has to be multiple redundancies in this system as there should be in any security system, and apparently the FBI does not have that. Again, resources. I mean, if they had handed it over, let's say, you know, they'd done their uh, preliminary checks, etc. I mean, maybe it was local law enforcement who held the intel on him, but there should have been a trigger to hand it over to them to for them to, to look to find this individual. Um, and I'm sure we're going to hear more about that. But having run intelligence units, you know, I do get a, a sense that this this is a a very concerning uh, fall through the through the cracks. And you know, again, it's multiple things that need to happen: the right risk assessment model being used, the right questions being asked, the right uh, training so that people understand domestic violence and the fact that if you're prepared to hurt the people you care about and love the most, what are you prepared to do to others? And if a mother is saying her son is out of control and she is fearful of him, that does need to be taken seriously. And, you know, certainly in schools too, you know, there should be a panel or some way of risk assessing students like this who, you know, where yeah. it's a multi-agency meeting, it's like a person of interest or a person at risk where people join together that information and it's a multi-agency risk assessment and a multi-agency risk management panel where they look at these individuals because just expelling them, well, guess what? It triggers further right. incidents. Yeah. It's like workplace violence, you know, and so it's not just about expelling someone. I mean, the teachers and people in that school knew that he was a problem and maybe handed it off, you know, so they, again, it's multiple things that are quite practical. I and mean, having created the dash, he actually, there were a number of high risk factors um, that, you know, he basically came up on just as a precursory, the domestic violence history, him being expelled, there was animal abuse, threats to harm and kill, yeah. stalking and harassment. I mean, there was a, a peeping mm-hmm. offense Jim, I don't know if you heard about that on a neighbor. I didn't, but um, that sounds was, like, you uh, know, a gateway offense. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. He was harassing and stalking two other girls and women, self-harming, 
Um, obviously, the guns. His social media was full of pictures with him with guns, saying about what he wanted to do yeah. and, and killing people. I mean, there's multiple warning signs here. So for law enforcement to know what those warning signs are and to join it up, whichever agency it is, but also locally for the school and for local community intelligence for there to be. Well, towards what you're saying, Laura, is that this collaboration between teachers and law enforcement, it does work. And I know it very personally that it does work because in 2014, in the town that I currently live in, we, the parents and law enforcement thwarted a mass shooting. And it was a collaboration. This made the national news. I'm not going to say what town it is, but it was a coordination wow. between parents, students, and law enforcement who stopped two teenagers at the high school who were planning a mass shooting, who had been trying to acquire weapons, and who had been posting on social media their plans. And they all coordinated together and stopped these two boys um, before the date that they wanted to do this. So it can work. Yes, absolutely. And I know from personal experience as well. I mean, I remember Jim Fitz bought me a case because he, he was concerned. He got, he got contacted by a law enforcement agency or a school, I can't remember which it was, about threats apparently by a guy who was a student at this school at a university. And Jim Fitz made an assessment and I agreed with the assessment that this kid was a risk and that they should enter his room immediately and try to determine whether or not he had weapons. And the school's response was that is too extreme. We're not going to do that. But Jim didn't stop. He went and searched and found the guy on Facebook and found that there was a picture of him literally posted a couple of days before him holding two pistols in his hand. And it looked like he was actually in a dorm room. So he immediately transferred that to the school. The school did recognize it as a dorm room and they entered his room and they found multiple weapons and thousands of rounds. And so that also averted it. But it was a combination of law enforcement, the school and social networking surveillance, basically looking at what they're posting. Now, this is something that years ago would have been seen as big brother. But these are things that people are posting on their own deliberately to send them out to the world. So it is not like doing some kind of nefarious surveillance on the part of law enforcement. Law enforcement, this is a tool that's out there. This is something you should look at. Um, And remember the Santa Barbara case, Laura? Absolutely. I was just thinking exactly the same, where he was posting videos saying exactly what he was going to do. And all the online was completely overlooked officers to his house. He stepped out on the porch and very calmly talked them down, even though his mother and his psychiatrist said they were scared that he was going to hurt himself or others. They never walked into his room. Had they done that, they would have found thousands of rounds and multiple weapons. And had they just simply taken the step before they went out there to check his social networking, they would have found video after video and picture after picture of what he was planning on doing. And that would have averted multiple homicides. Right. And he said it very clearly. And sadly, I've worked many of these cases where it's been posted online and people live their lives online and offline. And law enforcement cannot afford to overlook and not be looking at what people are posting. So it is about that proactive aspect rather than being reactive um, certainly, you know, I, f- I found the Santa Barbara case as you and I went through that um, yes. in a very detailed way, didn't we, Jim? I was actually in Santa Barbara when that when that happened. That and we shooting. interviewed his mentor 
and he gave us a lot of insights into the, the shooter in that case. Absolutely. And to have so many uh, law enforcement officers turn up at his address, I mean, firstly, for his mother and a, and a counsellor to call him in because they were that concerned, him saying that he wanted to hurt people. But then, if you recall, that the law enforcement officers felt because he seemed so meek and mild and subservient that therefore he was not a threat. He did not pose a threat. So this is where there's a real uh, challenge of ensuring that people are educated and trained around what risk looks like. And of course, people wear different masks. And, you know, that's what the training that I do and you do, Jim, standing in classrooms, doing behavioral training for law enforcement, because risk assessments, if they're good and evidence based, they do work. And we have to get into this early identification, risk assessment online and offline, putting risk management plans together, because it does lead to intervention and prevention. And that's we need to be on the front foot of these things, not the reactive back foot of it when something then happens and people just don't really know how to review it or what kind of questions to ask. And so these are the very practical things that can be done and it saves lives and it saves money. I would actually like to read a quote from somebody I still consider to be the leader of this country, Barack Obama. And he said, we are grieving with Parkland, but we are not powerless. Caring for our kids is our first job. And until we can honestly say that we're doing enough to keep them safe from harm, including long overdue common sense gun safety laws that most Americans want. And we have to change. And I agree with them. And the core of that is common sense gun safety laws, not taking away guns from everybody in the world, but making gun ownership a privilege, not just a right and licensing them and licensing the people who carry them and licensing the people who own them because you have to you have to have some common sense standards for how you protect this gun from being used by somebody who is not the owner so you can protect people from owners who go off the deep end and so you can protect people who literally are completely helpless against them But that's what breaks my heart. You know, five years ago when the Sandy Hook massacre happened, the kids from this South Florida high school, they were like eight and nine years old. And I'm sure on that day, those parents, just like I did, you know, we hugged our children tight and thanked the fates that it wasn't our kid. And I know right now it's a beautiful Saturday. I'm sure there's uh, some little girl, you know, playing with her friends on the weekend and doing homework, you know, and her parents think that she's safe and she's not. I'm sure in a month there is some child who will dead because of a mass school shooting. I mean, it's not over. And there's nothing we can do for these South Florida high schoolers, but there's got to be something we can do for this child who is still alive out there. And that's what just tears my heart. And more to the point, there'll be someone out there right now plotting something similar to try and get a higher body count than what happened in this situation. And they just seem to lead from one to the next. They seem to happen relatively quickly. And so learning the lessons and taking swift action, for me, is is the key thing here. You know, there's, there's multiple things that can be done. And, you know, as well as looking at the problem around gun violence, and I agree it should be a privilege and not a right, but there's also other things that can be done too, like taking domestic violence seriously. This is a failure to tackle domestic abuse in the US. People who are like this should not be able to get access to guns. 
along with metal detectors in schools, ensuring that there's a risk assessment tool that law enforcement are using and, you know, community members and schools can use so that they talk a joint language about risk and risk management and having a multi-agency approach when assessing online and offline risk. I think there's some very practical things here that can be done because 17 people who are dead, 14 who are injured, and the hundreds of people who are psychologically impacted and traumatized by post-traumatic stress disorder who will live with this for the rest of their lives. And to the point that the next victims and the, the next shooter who's out there planning the next event, you know, we've got to start to get on the front foot Absolutely. of this in, in the name of, of all of the victims and, and honoring them. Well, let's them. do a call to action then to our listeners, please. Write letters, emails, tweets, whatever it is, please. Wherever you stand on the gun issue, you can't just sit back and say right. there's nothing we can do. Make our lawmakers do something. Create a situation where they can't turn a deaf ear now. Protect that next kid, those next young people, those next adults. We're going to be in the line of fire here. Yes. It's just... Yes, let's let's come together on common ground and not on these normal battlegrounds, these boilerplate arguments back and forth that get us nowhere. Let's come together on common ground, guys. And using the evidence, you know, politicians saying that tougher gun laws do not decrease gun violence. There's no connection with domestic abuse. It's absolute BS. You know, look to what the UK are doing, Australia, and the lessons from Sandy Hook in Connecticut. It it works. It's simple. Oh, God. Okay, guys. Well, thank you, Lauren, Lisa, for doing this today. And I just hope that this is the one that gets everybody, that's a real call to action that gets everybody moving. And just don't stop shouting about it until something is done. Use your voices because these roll call of victims, I mean, it's it's just, this has been such a hard episode to do, but we all felt so strongly about jumping on 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 a Saturday to talk about it because there's just so many lessons here. And, you know, it's not rocket science. It's just some very simple and practical things that can be done. And, you know, I'm glad that we just had this chance to be able to talk about it. So thank you, Jim and and Lisa, as, as tough as it is. You know, people need to use their voices Absolutely. and look at the Thanks, evidence base and start to become activists yeah. and, and make change. Well said. All right. Take care and please be safe and be situationally aware. And don't just go through the motions of any kind of drills that you do in your schools and in your sports organizations and, and other places. Actually pay attention because those things are meant to actually protect you when something like this happens. And keep saying it. Say it and say it and scream it and scream it. Right. And if you see something, say something, as the FBI say. This is Real Crime Profile signing out. If you like our podcast, there are a few things that you can do. You can take two minutes and go to Apple Podcast and leave us a five-star review. You can also check out all Real Crime Profile offers and promotion and our sponsors in our show notes. Another thing you can do is go over to Facebook and like our Facebook page. And one last thing is please tell all your friends, family and colleagues about us and spread the Real Crime Profile word. Thank you so much for listening to us. We really appreciate you. Real Crime Profile is produced and edited by Paul Francis Sullivan. Sound engineered by Terrell Parham. Music composed by Simba Zumba. Logo art by Jim Clementi. 
Real Crime Profile is produced by XG Productions and distributed by Wondery. For advice and support if you're experiencing stalking in the UK, you can contact Paladin National Stalking Advocacy Service on 0203 866 4107 or you can go on the website www.paladinservice.co.uk. If you're experiencing domestic violence, call the National Domestic Violence Helpline free phone 0800 2000 247. In the US, if you're experiencing domestic abuse and need advice, safety, shelter or counselling, call Genesis, the 24-hour hotline, 214-946-4357 or go on their website, www.genesisshelter.org or the domestic violence hotline on 800-799-7233. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Real Crime Profile ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop Popcorn. Imagine this, perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients, popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now. The wait is over. So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience. Quickly, I see that. Bing! The queen of the courtroom is back. I didn't do anything. You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that. New cases. She wanted to fight me. Leave her alone. Okay, so, um... Not, this is not a so. This is a period. Classic Judy. Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would make a beeline for the door. The Emmy Award-winning series returns. How did I know that? I have a crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. It's streaming. You can say anything. (laughs) Judy Justice. Only on Freebie.